Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com, sponsored by Ultimate Fan. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, here to preview the weekend's Premier League action. And to do that, I'm in the very esteemed company of Sam Ty and Ali Maxwell. How are we both, chaps? Ali, back first time for a while. You okay? Yeah, I'm just lurking in the shadows, always ready for the call up. And pleasure to be back with uh, two legends of the game. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sam, you okay? Uh, yeah, very well, thanks, mate. Uh, this is my first podcast back for yes. five or six weeks, isn't it? Congratulations. I mean, I did see you in person a few weeks ago, so I, you know, I've already said c- congratulations. Ali, Ali, do you need to say congratulations to, to Sam? Well, I gather <laughs> I gather uh, Sam has, has brought a beautiful baby boy into the world, and yes. I think we can all yes. get behind that. So, Sam, congratulations, and yeah, how's it all going? I was going to, so I've been out for six weeks. I was going to say I've had an ankle injury and played a football <laughs> card. But uh, since you've brought it up, yes, um, I'm a new parent. It's going fine. We'll just leave it there because no one's here to hear about that one, but certainly an experience. No, it's going that well. Sam's leaving the house all day tomorrow to, to go to the football. So it must be going absolutely brilliantly. <laughs> From my end, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, having, Sam's, Sam's having a lovely time, having an absolutely fantastic time. I was not having a lovely time on Wednesday night at Villa Park, but luckily we're not here to talk about the FA Cup. We're here to talk about the Premier League and generally Villa are very good in the Premier League at home and it is Aston Villa against Manchester United this week weekend. Ali, I'll give you an early touch of the ball on, on the pod today. Kobe Mayner, a lot of, is it Kobe? Is it Kobe? I think it's Kobe, Kobe. Mayner, isn't it? I've made a bad start there. Kobe Mayner, a lot of people are touting him for an England spot, but Gareth Southgate was, of course, watching Jordan Henderson play Ajax, play for Ajax <laughs> at the weekend, of, of course he was. Do you think it would be a little bit too early for Mayner? Well, that very much depends on whether he keeps up his current level for the next three months, because if he shows that he can perform consistently, not just at senior level, which is one thing, but for Manchester United in what is a turbulent season for them, where they are showing quite patchy and consistent form, good at times, poor at other times, if he can sort of do the old Rudyard Kipling if, if he can keep his head and provide this level of performance consistently with all that going on around him, then the hype is completely real and there should be no reason why he couldn't be representing England at the Euros this summer. Clearly, it's not just about Maynou. And when we talk about England squads, it's always worth you know having the full context, the full picture. There are other players performing well. There are other players performing less well. And we have to get into what's important for Southgate or what's important for an international manager when they're selecting a team. And unfortunately for Kobe Maynou fans, we know that Southgate is obsessed with continuity, is obsessed with uh, having guys in place that know the, you know, know what to do on those camps, that know how to uh, behave in that dynamic and who have played a lot of football in an England shirt and know how to broadly cope with that pressure so I'm not feeling that optimistic that Maynard will make it but that's not to say I'm not loving what I'm seeing from a player that just looks so comfortable in so many different aspects of that midfield role which is one of the most difficult roles in football forget everything that you just said about Maynard you just dialed into like a very pleasant childhood memory of mine with that Kipling if reference did that remember after World Cup 98 when Des Lynham did the did the poem does anyone remember that if you remember I had that I had that on CD I had it on CD Des Lyon is reading that poem. For, for me, the reference is, comes from uh, Mike Bassett, England manager, because yes, he quotes it in his press conference and follows it up with, England will be playing 4-4, effing 2. 
Yeah, they certainly won't be doing that under Southgate. <laughs> Sam, on, on my note, I can't work out how I feel about this because I think he's been he's been really really impressive since he's come in. I will caveat this by saying I, I actually am a I'm a Southgate fan, but he does things that annoy me generally in selection. Mm. If he was to select Manu now, it sometimes feels like players playing for certain clubs, and I wouldn't obviously even put Manchester United amongst the, the top six best teams in the in the Premier League at the moment. But if he if a player starts playing for certain clubs, I'd get that he is safe and he likes continuity. He does seem to not mind just just putting them straight in, whereas players at other clubs who've probably been playing more consistently for a longer period of time, he doesn't do it with them. Do you, do you get what I mean? I do. So I'm also a Southgate fan, but he also irritates me in probably the same way. So I think I think we're yeah. probably the same there. Um, but, and being a fan of a manager doesn't mean that you accept everything that they do and, and, and champion them in every single way. You can accept that everyone has foibles, right? So it's just one of those things. Um, and Southgate has tended to hold off and be very reserved on calls from for players like from you know from maybe from Aston Villa or something like that but when they are a Manchester United player they, they sort of go in a bit quicker I don't know if he just thinks that playing at Old Trafford under that pressure in that atmosphere I think if it if it fast tracks them in, in a certain way mentality wise it means they're more able to cope with what he wants them to I don't know what it is but it was notable wasn't it that like Jaden Sancho was a Dortmund player and like never really got a look in and then he literally signed for United midway through the Euros and he started the next game and everyone went well and obviously that was <laughs> you know we're talking about a very dramatic and coincidental example there but I can understand where people are coming from um, but yeah he likes his Henderson he likes his Phillips he doesn't mind Conor Gallagher um, and then we've got Kobe Mainu entering this mix and people are talking about Ross Barkley right now, which I think is probably too far. But we're already debating Trent, you know, so what have we got? We've got one spot, haven't we? Rice, mm. Jude Bellingham, plus one. We have a wonderful ability to mix and match here based on the opponent. And he's got the ability to take maybe three or four different skill sets or profiles here and maybe try to pair the correct one for the opponent. And it's lovely to have that flexibility. It's a bit scary because you don't fully trust Southgate to actually manage to do it. <laughs> but what I do like from the from the Mainu conversation here is that like when we went out in the World Cup to France, not to pick on him, but I think that Jordan Henderson looked like a real weak link in that game. He was technically and physically not good enough to play against that France midfield, whereas Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice were. In fact, almost everyone on that pitch held up pretty well against France. Yeah except for, I thought, Henderson, who just looked slightly off it. So what I want from a player here to be able to step into that kind of scenario, because we're going to try and win the tournament, is a player that can keep his composure and keep that technical level against the very best. And Mainu has has hinted that he can. And if he continues to do so over the next few months, I'll be more and more on board with this idea because I know for sure that Jordan Henderson isn't going to, isn't going to survive a game against France. But if we have a player that might be able to, then we should absolutely look at that. The other thing to chuck into the mix is that Southgate, as a career FA man, or not career FA man because he managed Borough, didn't he? But as someone who was part of the under-21 setup and seems to really value that pathway through the youth teams, Maynou has and does play for England's youth teams, but he's one or two years behind Curtis Jones, Mm, who starred at the under-21 Euros, winning the under-21 Euros with England, and you have to say is broadly fighting for the same position. So you have to bear Jones in mind during this conversation as well. Yeah, I should have yeah. put him in. And he's so technically talented and composed as well. Like look what he does at the base in midfield and ball retention. Even in the big the, the you know, the games against Arsenal, like this is this is Curtis Jones's bag. That's his skill set. I should have put him in. Sorry, thank you, Ali. So there you go. Can we all, can we all agree? My mind. 
Can we all agree that? Can we all agree that it would be even if you put aside any of the um, conversation around his move to Saudi and the external factors? Can we all agree that it, it it would be insane to select a player that's been playing half a season in the Saudi league? And I don't want to upset any Dutch listeners of the Edge of the Box podcast because Ajax are an incredible institution, but they haven't been a very good team this season. And the Eredivisie is at a much lower level than the Premier League. So even if Henderson starts, as he did the other day against PSV, and by the way, I actually understand why Southgate went to watch him. It makes more sense to me that Southgate would go and watch Henderson play in a massive Eredivisie game, his first proper level match for many months, just to see what he's up to, rather than watching Kobe Mainu that week, for example, when he's probably got a few more months to do so. So I understand why he would try and work out what Henderson's level is. But even if he starts every game for Ajax until now at the end of the season, I think that's the lowest level that any of the players we're talking about will be playing at. So given that he doesn't seem that keen, as you are, as you said in your question, Dan, to play players who are playing outside of, of the Premier League elite, I just think nothing makes sense for Henderson to be part of this squad. And that's not even taking into account the fact that if he is included, the noise around it is going to be distracting as well. No, I can completely agree with you. And I say you've read my mind with two things there. I was going to say that. And also I was going to say about Curtis Jones. So I don't need to ask those next questions because you've covered it brilliantly there. Let's talk about Rasmus Hoyland then, Sam. Keep scoring after a quiet start to the season. I mean, of course he's coming to form just as he's about to rock up at Villa Park. That makes complete sense <laughs> in, the, in the football universe. And he scored what, his first goal in the Premier yes, League against? Villa Villa, of course, set them off, yes. Mm. What's, um, what's, what's changed for him, do you think? Because on the face of it, I don't feel like any Anything's massively changed at Manchester United, but he's changed. Yeah, so I mean, it's always the case, isn't it, with a young striker who starts who starts slowly. Once you get once you clear the nosebleed, the avalanche of goals is, is going to happen, right? Because it's a confidence sport and a confidence game, particularly so for strikers. And what they were asking Rasmus Hoyland to do here, which is to step in and play for a, a, a massive club in Manchester United, where the pressure of playing for, as a number nine, a lone number nine in the Premier League. It's really, really hard, right? It's a very, it's one of the most difficult things you can ask someone to do. Centre forward, sole centre forward in the Premier League. He comes in off a handful of games of Sturm Graz and Atalanta, right? And he's like, right, now you play in front of 70,000 people for a super dysfunctional club. Um, it, it, good luck. And of course, of course, it was difficult to start with. Didn't help that they didn't pass to him either. So there's a couple of things that have happened. One, he's got his first goal. Confidence is rolling. Four goals, two assists, all since Boxing Day, all since scoring against Villa, Dan. And then the other catalyst is that I think his teammates have started passing to him. Genuinely, like they're just passing to him more. Like the, the goal that Casemiro assisted for him was his first goal that has been assisted in the Premier League. And I think only one of the five goals that he scored in the Champions League were assisted as well. The guy's doing it all himself. And well done to him for even getting into those positions to start with. But he has not been helped that much by his teammates. And I'm really, <laughs> I'm looking at players like Garnacho here, who do a lot of shooting from the left. He's been moved to the right. Is he shooting less? Is he now, you know, right side, right foot? Is he playing the cutback or the low ball across a little bit more than maybe going for that top corner? It's little things like that that's starting to take shape. Luke Shaw back in the team. They're a better team now with Luke Shaw and Mainu and Casemiro and Lissandro for that one game. It, it, it was it looked like it was starting to take shape there. And everything that was happening behind him was all just benefiting Hoyland in, in a small way, and it's all added up, I think, to this. Yeah, you know, he's I mean, taken only Lyle Foster, 
Mikel Antonio and Jean-Philippe Mateta have taken fewer shots per 90 in the Premier League out of strikers in the Premier League this season. Really? They've played over 600 minutes. And that's going to be slightly down to the striker itself. But that's mostly players who play for teams that don't create good opportunities for them. And I back up Sam 100%. The, the profile of all of United's other attacking players are players who like to shoot more than pass. <laughs> yeah, that's a really, really interesting statistic there. Another statistic that we have is Manchester United's top 10 performers in all competitions in 2024. And Hoyland is second behind Bruno Fernandes, only just behind him as well. Bruno Fernandes is 7.88. Hoyland is 7.87. Ali, number three is Garnacho at 7.71, a, a fantastic footballer. But Manchester United have kind of got a little bit of a problem Garnacho is having to play from the right. A few weeks ago, it was Rashford playing from the right. Both mm. of their best positions is, is on the left, but you need to get them both in the team at the moment. So it's a bit of a bit of a sticky one for Ten Hag, isn't it? Uh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, it is a sticky one, and I'm afraid this happens uh, pretty consistently across football when you have a club who don't get it right in terms of squad building, who aren't particularly effective in the transfer market. Over a period of seasons, you end up with a squad with uh, round pegs, square holes, etc. And that's where we're at with United. So I'm sure we speak about it every time we talk about them. The solution for Manchester United is a number of good windows back to back, not just one good summer window, albeit it's important that they do that in the summer. So this is what you get. I mean, they're making it work at the moment, aren't they? And Ganacho deserves credit for some of his performances recently, where I feel like he... He seems to be offering that sort of 360-degree attacking threat in that he's clearly a dangerous ball carrier and he carries it at such speed in a way that I think terrifies defenders. That's really valuable. Uh, He has goal threat, as discussed. He loves to shoot. Uh, He's much more penetrative than Anthony. Uh, Anthony slows down attacks. Anthony stops the ball. uh, And Anthony cuts in and shoots um, and isn't that good at it, whereas... Garnacho is much more likely to carry it deep into the box to the byline and, and that loosens up attacks as well and, and is better for Hoyland. So he just seems like one of those players that he's got a seemingly fantastic mentality as well. He's just pretty relentless uh, and you can't really keep him quiet. So I think having him in any position is going to be a massive benefit for a United team where Anthony, Rashford, etc. Uh, have all had issues this season with their own confidence and execution. We, of course, had that wonderful image against West Ham of the three players celebrating, Sam, the three three young players. Are they now the three kind of players that Manchester United need to build around? Uh, is that Garnacho, Hoyland and Maynou? It was, yes. Yes. I should have told uh, you that just in case you didn't know. Bad no, I, I, I remember them sitting on the advertising boards. But I was just like, right, we're just making sure I've got the right ones here. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty precocious talents, these three. Um, and they've only actually had to pay for one. You know, the, the, the United... <laughs> factory is still going it's still it's still pumping out the talent it's there if they want to look for it it's there if they want to utilize it and so that's probably the most heartwarming part of it from a united perspective is that garnacho you know and Maynou have, have come through the system garnacho probably a bit later obviously than the Maynou, who's who's manchester born and bred but still they've come through and they've breached into the first team and they've made that jump and for garnacho like he's had trouble he's had trouble converting from super sub to 90 degree 90 degree? I've got your degrees on the mind there, Ali. 90 <laughs> minutes, 90 minutes starter, as in 90 minutes you know, effectiveness. It's hard for players to do that when they start out as someone who who's really quick. 15 minutes off the bench, they make an impact. And so they get a start and they sort of disappear. 
that's been happening to Garnacho over the over the first half of the season, where he's absolutely amazing off the bench and then doesn't really impact the game when everybody's as fit and as not as tired as he is. And it takes time for young players to make that jump as well. So that's come through at the same time as Hoyland maybe finding his shooting boots, at the same time as mainly settling the midfield and maybe supplying the passes. Three talents there that, you know, they need to keep hold of or need to build around because they've got a bunch of other players who are all, you know, a fair bit older, uh, might be on the way out at some point in the next couple of years. And as Ali says, they need successive windows here where they they basically consider what they have around these three players and just buy the right ones to compliment them because, goodness me, look at them, they're so good. As ever with modern-day Manchester United, Ali, just as things feel like they're going well, anguish is never too far away. And their good run has coincided a little bit with Lissandro Martinez returning to the team. He's now going to be missing again for six to eight weeks. He's been missing a lot of the season. And, you know, when he's not been there, they have been very inconsistent. They have stumbled mm. over the line in some games, and some games they've looked absolutely terrible. At the back as well, how much of a coincidence do you think it is that him coming back was kind of the catalyst for, the, for them doing well, and how much are they now going to miss him? I think if you look at the games themselves and, and Martinez's uh, input, I'm, I think it's a massive bonus having him playing for Manchester United, and I think we should make that very clear. I'm not sure... The like to what extent you weight the impact of his performances over the last few games. I mean, they conceded two goals against Newport. They conceded three goals against Wolves. Now, they did win both of those games, scoring four. So it's hard to pick out a centre-back and say, you're the catalyst for those victories. Uh, and the, the 28 magical minutes that he played off the bench against Spurs, they didn't concede a goal. So we'll give him some credit there. And and obviously better in the, in the last game against West Ham as well. So uh, I'm, I'm not putting a string of wins down to Lissandro Martinez. But I do think it's massively damaging that he's now out again because he provides left-footed balance. He provides, uh, again, a certain mentality that I like when I watch Manchester United. And I think the certain mentality that he and, and Garnacho bring that I think is, is sometimes lacking with some of their other players. And I just feel quite bad for Ten Hag in this one aspect of this season where no... Manchester United centre-back has started more than 10 Premier League games this season and they have played 23 Premier League games this season. Wow. That will hold any manager back massively. And mm -hmm. that's going to continue now with Martinez being out again. I've got some stats here just to back up on Lisandro. Their win percentage in the Premier League drops about 13% when he's not there. So obviously winning winning more games when he's in, that makes sense. Um, the goals conceded drops a little bit, but the goals for also rises. So like every in every category, he makes Manchester United better. And Ali, you're talking about how much credit do you give a centre-back, you know, when in those games where Manchester United score a lot of goals. Well, yeah, it's not just left-footed balance. It's actually his passing into midfield is, is, is by far the best of any Manchester United centre-back. His, his ability to feed the ball into midfield and bypass players and break the lines is really, really important. And I do think that quite a lot of people across the Premier League, you know, casual fans who just watch their own team, probably don't realise that Lissandro is not only a, like a hardened warrior and a battler, and as you say, Ali, kind of sets a tone that I think his teammates try to try to meet an intensity. He's, just, he's incredibly good on the ball. And it's no surprise to me that Manchester United become more prolific when he's at centre-back because he starts all the attacks. Him and Luke Shaw as an axis on the left is really, really important. And they've been missing for ages this season. They've probably... Luke Shaw started about 10 games in the Premier League and, and Lissandro, what, five, four, something like that? It's been really tough. 
Well, what you've said, we could easily be talking about Aston Villa for the last month here, Sam, uh, because a yeah. certain left foot cent- left footed centre back, sorry, has been missing for for Villa as well. And, and Villa, have, mm. Villa's metrics have dropped since Paul Torres has, has been missing for the for the last month or so. Villa going forward don't look as fluid. They don't retend retend the ball. Is that that's not a word, is it? Their ball <laughs> retentions not as good since Paul Torres hasn't hasn't been in the team. Now Esri Conser is going to be missing for for a month as well. Thankfully, Paul Torres should be back on Sunday against Manchester United. But everything you've just said about Martinez and the fluidity of, of Manchester United going forward, that could be said about Villa with Pau Torres being absent because he is out of this world at all those things. He is. And his replacement, Clement Longley, it's like it's like if you order Pau Torres on Wish, isn't it? It's just not there. It's just not quite not right. And it's like, yes, he's left-footed. Yes, he's good on the ball. He can he can do the build-up stuff. But he can't, he can't feed that ball into midfield. And he's slow. And he can't chase back on the other end for the offside trap. And it's just like, he's exactly what we thought he was. He is Pal Torres, but only 60% as good. And just missing miss, missing those, those peaks of quality in certain areas that over the course of one or two games doesn't go, it's not too, it's not too noticeable. But if you have him play for a month, you start to notice it, right? That's when it starts to kick in. And Villa have struggled recently. And the fact that Torres has been out has been a, big part of it and the fact that Conza wasn't there uh, in the FA Cup was was a big part of it and so yeah Torres is you know it's been a tricky one hasn't it he was supposed to be back after a couple of weeks he came off the bench for half an hour against Burnley yeah to see it out then he got injured again then he was on the bench and you know it's one of those things where like Villa have had a couple of injuries over the years where they just mysteriously drag on for like five months and no one really understands why even though they're on the bench I'll see it. I'll see it. I'll believe it when I see it. When Pal Torres is back on the pitch, done. <laughs> it's got to be. We need him back on Sunday against Manchester United. Villa have got a terrible record generally against Manchester United over the years, especially at Villa Park. So Pal Torres returning would be massive. But you know, injuries get bandied around about certain teams all the time. I think at one point it was very on vogue to talk about Spurs having yeah. injuries. Um, Sam, there's been other teams as well through through the season. You know, people have talked about their their injury pileup. Villa have actually got their three best centre-backs or on Wednesday, their three best centre-backs were out. And Mings and Buendia have been out all season. Villa have suffered with injuries as well, but have still managed to get themselves to a to a really, really lofty position. But I think that has gone under the ride. I know something Villa fans get, get very upset at is that no one ever talks about the injuries that Villa have had. Villa have had some bad injuries this season. Yeah, sure. Okay, so start even starting the season without your entire left side, you know, that's yeah. that, that was swept under the yeah, Ramsey's by, a lot, of, by a lot of people. Yeah, Ramsey and Moreno's back now, but the the Ramsey Moreno connection hasn't been there at all. Like we saw it, we've seen it for like ten minutes off the bench sometimes and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, every club is going to face this at some point in the season, right? Yeah. And you know, Villa got through it really well without the left side to start with. It looked like it, it was okay, but recently things have got on top of them a little bit. You know, Tielemans missing some time and Ramsey missing more time and Zaniolo missing time and then. Camera missed three games of suspension, and you can go Luke on and Dane. on. Miranda came back, and Luca Dean disappeared yeah. for a month or so as yeah. well. Villa have only ever had one left back fit for the entire season, so yeah, it's just something you've got to go through. You know, you can't feel too sorry for yourselves. There, you have to, you have to figure it out. Like every club has this. Like you could ask every fan of every Premier League club, and they'll point to you a section, a month, six weeks of a season where things seem to go really wrong and four players were missing and things like that. It, it just happens. You've got to get on with it and hope that it, it gets better soon. Yeah. Let's talk about Ollie Watkins, Ali, a player you will have watched in the, in the EFL as well. Did you ever think he'd get 
to the level that that he's at now when he when he entered the Premier League? Because you could arguably make a case now for him being the second best striker in the Premier League. Yes, uh, I think you probably can make that argument. Uh, I I'm not going to sit here and say when I was watching Watkins from 18 to 23, working his way up from being a right winger at Exeter and then a left winger at Exeter, a left winger at Brentford, a right winger at Brentford, and then a striker. I, I wouldn't have picked him to be the second best striker in the Premier League. But when you do track players or when you when you learn about players very early on in their careers in the EFL in particular, um, like we have over the last eight years doing Not the Top 20, you do basically start to realise that player development uh, is very hard to predict and that most importantly, it's not surprising anymore when a player who starts in the EFL eight years later now looks like an incredible Premier League player. Um, so I'm really pleased that his development has been able to continue because sometimes when a player starts playing first team football at 16, there's that sense that, oh, well, maybe their development just comes quite a lot earlier and then they hit 23, they're six, seven years into their senior career. And, you know, that that's probably the point where they've maxed out in terms of how much better they can get. Watkins has proven that he can consistently get better. He's played for fantastic clubs in terms of player development. Uh, Brentford are, are best in class, really, um, when you think of, of how many players they've taken on who other clubs wouldn't have necessarily touched or looked at and not only got a lot out of them in terms of production, but clearly made them better as, as football players. So um, with Villa, with Emery, he's benefiting once again from a, a club that's just in in the right position to make him better. And, and he's obviously uh, doing his job as well. So it's really exciting. And um, yeah, he's just... He's a perfect modern Premier League striker, isn't he? Or not quite perfect because I know that there are some Villa fans and hopefully not you guys who still think that if you had a better finisher, you'd be even better. Um, but as we've talked not about bad. on the... Well, if, if Erling Haaland played for Aston Villa, maybe maybe Villa would be a little bit yeah. better. I know. But does, her, does Haaland... <laughs> does, yeah, interesting. Um, he's amazing. I love him. Yeah. You, look, people will laugh at what I'm about to say probably, but I genuinely wouldn't swap Ollie Watkins for it any striker in the world for Villa. When I was on Sky the other week, I said that if I was Gareth Southgate, I'd take Ivan Tony as the second striker because I think he does more things that Harry Kane does in terms of mm-hmm. the way England play as well. But for Villa and the way Villa play and what Emery wants, Sam, I genuinely wouldn't swap Ollie Watkins for anyone because I, th- I think he's just perfect. Yeah, I I think that... To, for for Emery's Aston Villa, Watkins yeah. is a is a better fit than than Erling Haaland, and he's a better fit than Tony. And I agree with you that Tony is a is a much more Kane like figure, so that would make more sense as a second striker. I've 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 long believed that Tammy Abraham is basically Kane's deputy. Obviously, he's been injured all season, but again, the reason is because stylistically he can do similar things, right? So you have to pair the profile with the system. Um, looking across the league. I think the only other player that I would look at and say, oh, well, actually, he, I think he could do pretty much everything Watkins does, maybe to a better degree, but it's its marginal if that is Alexander Isak, who I think is fantastic and can do probably everything yeah. and, and fit Emery's system just as well as Watkins. But like, I think, I think Gabriel Jesus is brilliant, but I don't think that he could he could do the role that Watkins does. So they're all different players. They're all different systems, and it's 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 you have to be much smarter than well. He's better than him, and he's better than him. But yeah, Isak and Watkins, I think for Emery, and Tony and Kane for England. That's fine. That's fine with me. Does he does Ollie Watkins make the combined eleven of Aston Villa and Manchester United based on the twenty three twenty four league ratings? Though let's find out. So. 
so you you think he's in? Well, he's got ten goals and ten assists. Well, I know, but Hoyden scored a few goals recently. Ah, we, know yeah. the, we know that bumps the too, rankings up. He's got too much. He's got too much. He's got too much ground to make up on Ollie Watkins here. I will say I quite like this team. I will say there's one question mark in there for me, but I'll read the team out for you. Emmy Martinez, of course, in goal. Although actually, Anana was the best player in the best goalkeeper in the Premier League, according to who scored a few, <laughs> a few months ago. So actually, I'm pleased to see Emmy Martinez in there. We've got Dallow, Maguire, Longley, and Shaw as the back four. Yeah. Midfield three of Louise, John McGinn, and Bruno Fernandez, and then a front three of Leon Bailey, Ollie Watkins, and Alexander Garnacha. Is his name Alexander? I Alejandro. Alejandro, not Alexander. Alejandro Garnacha. The best rated player in there is Ollie Watkins. Seven point three two. It's a, it's a good time. I'm surprised to see Longley in there. I think maybe we could have got away with Paul Torres being in there, but sometimes we leave out injured players, so maybe that's the reason he's not made. This year scored eleven, but yeah. it's uh, well, he's injured as well. I think he yeah. probably. There's only about there. two centre backs to choose from, isn't there, between the two sides at the moment? Yeah, <laughs> Longley long Maguire almost in there by by default, actually. But it's a uh, that's a it's a nice team. Ali got kind of a nice balance to it. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to see that team take the field, probably with uh, Emery in charge of it, if I had to pick one of the managers as well. I oh, love it. Love that. Yeah, happy for you to do that, Ali. Very happy for you to, to make <laughs> that call indeed. Let's do predictions then for this game. Sam, you go first. Yeah, you see where my head's at here. Like the last last couple of home games in the league have just been, oh, not, sorry, not just in the league, but the last couple of home games have been really frightening, haven't they? Yes. Um, Newcastle and Chelsea just just playing well in the last 20 minutes having gone three goals down is just not it's just not good enough <sighs> 2 one to man united no come on sam negativity what are I you know. doing i'm sorry it's very unlike you um, ali what, what have you done i'm back in villa uh 1-0 win i think villa park will be rocking and i think emery will get it right and i think that villa will win i have gone for a wild aston villa three manchester united two I think there will be goals in, in this game. Villa won this fixture 3-1 last season in, in Emery's first game in charge, actually. It was the first time Villa had beaten Manchester United at Villa Park since 1995. After that game, my, my dad was just like, I can die now. I, I can die now. I've seen, Villa, <laughs> I've seen Villa beat Manchester Manchester United again. So, yeah, I do think there'll be a, a lot of goals in this game. And on the subject of, of predictions, really low-scoring week. Last week, five points for me. Jonathan got five points for, for you and his team, Sam. So, yeah, really low. George got an embarrassing three points across the entirety of the of the prediction. So, yeah, not a, gr- not a great week for George. Leaves me on 142. Sam and Jonathan on 123. And Ali and George on 112, really. Lagging behind going into the, the business end of the season. Big yeah, it's not, it's not yet the running, is it? It's not the running, but it is the no, business end. It's approaching. It's yeah. definitely he approaching needs to be, He needs to be rotated out more often. He's, he's obviously <laughs> just... He's been... Yeah, he's, 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 he's lacking sharpness, I think. Yeah, really, really poor for, from George. Going to move on now to our team in focus section. And this week it's Luton, who absolutely amazing me every single week. Ali, you'll you'll be the expert here. How good a Luton? How good a manager is Rob Edwards as well? Uh, Luton are not very good in Premier League terms, are they? They're near the bottom of the table. But... <laughs> but uh, relative to budgets, relative to expectation, uh, in the context of 
people looking at the size of the club, looking at a load of names in the squad that they didn't know from previous Premier League seasons and somewhat writing that team off. Uh, I think they've been incredibly impressive. And I think that the it hasn't surprised me at all. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I have had the pleasure of covering Luton for many years now. And I do know that this club has something about it, has a certain spirit and mentality that meant I had no concerns that they would ever get into a position where they were losing every single game. Where I they think were. you came on here at the start of the season and said and said that kind of thing. I'm, I'm pretty sure I remember that. I I remember that too, and I'm glad that that uh, left such a mark, <laughs> Dan. But I, I mean, I genuinely, clearly, when you do preseason predictions and early on in the season, when you are talking about the Premier League, it is it's necessary to ask questions such as who's going to go down and then who started the season really poorly? Are we writing anyone off? You know, that's part of football discourse, but I don't see the point in writing off any team. You know, there are, there are other teams like Everton, like Wolves this season that have massively confounded my expectation for them pre-season. It it doesn't, you know, it doesn't always fit the way that you think it's going to fit. So uh, they've been fantastic, haven't they? And they had that really tough run of games against, you know, some of the the biggest teams, Arsenal and, and City back to back. Uh, they'd played United and Liverpool back-to-back uh, a couple of weeks before that. And then you picked up one point from those four games. But somehow during that spell, it felt like they developed a, a certain confidence, a certain realisation that the way that they play and the way that they attack in particular is quite painful for some of these teams to defend against because they're not used to it and because most other Premier League pl- uh, clubs don't play that style. And if they do, they don't play it quite as well. Uh, and they've they've brought that confidence forward and and obviously won three, drawn two and lost just against Chelsea in their last six games. So it's it's really impressive. And Rob Edwards deserves a, a ton of credit as well, because I think in the tough times, in the in the down spells, he manages the team really well. He's uh, very charismatic, but uh, he seems genuine as well. And I think that helps a lot at a team like Luton. He's also fantastic for the commercial department, because uh, I don't know if you saw he did a few interviews recently where Twitter went crazy because of how handsome he is. And Luton oh. gro- gained about 100,000 followers on Twitter. You know, that all helps the, uh, <laughs> the profit and loss balance at the end of the season. It does. He is he is a handsome guy. He's very talented as well. Um, he strikes me as an amazing man manager, Ali. Amazing man manager. Someone that can really connect with the players. And this is mm. a vital part of management in 2024. More some... Formerly elite managers are struggling in the game nowadays, I believe. Um, his ability to connect and communicate with your players. And like, he seems to be able to do this. So when you talk about like, even taking confidence from losses, that's, I think, I think that's, that's part of it. That's mm-hmm. him communicating with his players and, and, and fueling them with belief in their performances and, and telling them to, to ignore the result. And and then you look at some of the players that are emerging as well and, and what they've been able to do. And again, that's that's gotta be down to him. You know, they're not just plucking this confidence out of thin air. Like Adebayo isn't basically barreling towards double figures, you know, without help from Rob Edwards, like you know, cajoling him and, and and telling him like you are good enough for this level. Ogbene's return from from injury to to play on the on the right at this point. And he's so like I have massively underestimated Ogbene's quality. He's really good. He's, he's really a, good. Given a few fallbacks nightmares in recent weeks. Yeah, he is ridiculously fast, but he's also very, very good. And then, of course, we arrive at the Ross Barkley conversation, and whatever he has, he has agreed with Ross Barkley is working. Okay, I don't know what that <laughs> like, but he said he did. He said in an interview in in December, like you know, there has to be a few non-negotiables with Ross Barkley, but once you get those in place, we can sort of let him spread his wings. 
And look what's happening. It, it's a suggestion there that it's like two nights out a week. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I, I, don't, I, I reckon it could be something like that. It could be. Or it's just, just please turn up to training on time. Like, <laughs> Because then I can't. Then I have to drop you if you if you're late. <laughs> but like, if it's, it's that, it is if it's so just whatever it is. Isn't it so fun watching a player like that playing in a in a team and in a structure like Luton, where you know instinctively you'd think, oh, is this going to look weird? Because they play quite direct. They defend a lot of the time. To what extent does Barkley fit into that? And then you just watch him slaloming through midfields, bringing yeah. that swagger, that confidence. Seems to lift the level of the teammates around him, and it's really fun to to watch. Yeah, even it the fact is. he's wearing the number six shirt, I feel like he's re-identified. Re, re I kept making up words this week. He's like re, redone his game a, a little bit, Ross Barkley. Like he reimagined that number six shirt, and I thought that's bizarre. Mm. Actually, he's kind of a complete number six. It's it's weird. Yeah, well, uh, and when they get marvelous Nakamba back from injury, Dan. Yeah, big be, player. It would be, be like the old villain midfield in there for Robert. Oh, what a time! Well, it'll be tough to get back in. I, I actually think yeah. you know, serious point. Sambi Lukonga has been pretty impressive yep. recently and uh, I can't remember they've scored so many goals recently I can't remember which one it was but he showed a, a pass a big sprayed ball out to, to one of the wide players um, that, that really greased the wheels of a, an attack that ended up in a goal and for all of Nakamba's qualities out of possession he does not have that passing range and vision in him and therefore I think if Lukonga can bring uh, some of those um, defensive attributes to help protect Barkley and provide a bit extra going forward, then it does raise the level of the team going forward. Ross Barkley, over the last six appearances, is the best player in the Premier League, according to who wow. scored ratings. Ross Barkley is number one with 8.18. Phil Foden behind him, 8.02. We've then got Cunha in third, Rodri fourth, Kudas fifth, Garnacho sixth, Alvarez seventh, Gross eighth, Ollie Watkins ninth, and Richarlison tenth. So, I mean, that is something, Ali, that we just did not think we would be talking about at any point during the season. Ross Barkley is statistically the best player in the Premier League at the moment, according to who scored. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? It's brilliant. Um, their, their recruitment team have been excellent for a, a few seasons now. Uh, they have a very clear idea of uh, what they're signing, where it might fit, where it uh, where it might lead to a couple of tweaks in how they play or who might just slot in perfectly. And I think with Ogbené, uh, even with Andros Townsend, who's made some good contributions and has probably brought a level of Premier League experience and nous that you have to feel uh, has probably been quite good in the dressing room. Not many of their players who came up with them had ever played in the Premier League before. So whether it's signing players like Ogbené, who are a bit younger, who they think might have potential to play in the Premier League, uh, or whether it's signing the veterans that they have sort of sprinkled around, uh, everything seems to have worked pretty well. So credit to the recruitment team as well. Yeah, well done, Luton. Well done, Rob Edwards, and well done to everyone associated with Luton. That look, they've they've achieved nothing as yet, but I think everyone is enjoying that they've come into the Premier League, put themselves about, and you know that if they are going to go down, they're going to go down fighting. But I, I don't think they mm -hmm. will go down. I think they're kind of getting better as the season goes on, and I, I don't think they'll be in any danger at all come the end of the season. Right, let's do the rest of our pr predictions then, starting with Manchester City against Everton. I've gone for three 0 to Manchester City. Ali, what have you plumped for? Yeah, 2-0 to City. I think Everton will be obdurate, but broken down, ultimately. Yeah, lovely word there. I don't even know what that means, but I can read between the lines and, and guess <laughs> if what you it just means. If you picture Jared Branthwaite, that's obdurate. Okay, I like it. <laughs> All right, what's your prediction, Sam? Uh, I've also gone for 2-0 to City. 2-0 to City. Fulham against Bournemouth, please, Sam. 2-all, Desmond. 2-all, Ali. Which game, sorry? Uh, Fulham v Bournemouth. Yeah, 2-1 to Bournemouth, away win. 
exactly the same as my prediction. Uh, Liverpool against Burnley. Ali, what have you gone for? I've gone for 3-1. Got a Burnley goal in there and plenty from Liverpool. I've gone for 4-1 to Liverpool, the Burnley goal in there as well, because it always feels like Liverpool concede a goal when they're, when, when they're well ahead. Sam? At 4-0 to Liverpool. 4-0 to Liverpool. Uh, Luton against Sheffield United. I've gone for 2-0 to Luton. Ali? Yeah, 2-0 as well. 2-0. Copy my predictions this week. Sam, what have you gone for? <laughs> 3-1 to Luton. Three one to lose, and don't mind the copy as well because it keeps the distance the same if the, if the score is right or whatever the <laughs> score is. Uh, Spurs against Brighton, please, Sam. Two one to Spurs. Two one to Spurs, Ali. Dan, what have you got? Two two. <laughs> <laughs> I got three one Spurs. Three one. There we go. Some differentials there. Uh, Wolves against Brentford. I've gone for one one, Ali. Two one Wolves. Two one Wolves, Sam. Same. Two one. Two one to Wolves. Forest against Newcastle, Alla. 1-1. Yep, same as me. Same uh, as Sam. me. <laughs> oh, 3-1-1 one, lovely stuff. <laughs> West Ham against Arsenal. I've gone for a way win, 2-1 to Arsenal. Sam? 1-0 to Arsenal. 1-0 to Arsenal. Alla? 2-0 to the Arsenal. 2-0 to the Arsenal. We've done, of course, Aston Villa against Manchester United. And now we're going to have a quick look at Crystal Palace against Chelsea as our final game. I know, well, we both know this, Sam, that Chelsea won in the FA Cup in midweek. But both teams still here feel in a little bit of turmoil, don't they? Yes, definitely. For Palace, it's yeah, it's like a never-ending nightmare, isn't it? Um, I feel sorry for Palace fans. They like constantly just waiting for things to get better. And it's like, oh, you know, in six months, it'd be fine. Like, I mean, you know, to get to the summer, you know, we, we change the manager and, you know, get, get, get the recruitment sorted and, you know, settle the, the future of, of star player X. And then, you know, we'll reinvest and, you yeah, know, it'll be all right. And then six months rolls around and um, we've still got Roy Hodgson and um, still going nowhere. And three of their best players are injured and all the joy has been sucked out of there. Their, their play because Ezra's injured or Elise is injured or oh, Decore's out for five months or now Gay's gone down like what joy what joy can you get from this at the moment from Palace and I just feel for the fans so much like they're just waiting for the club to turn the corner and there's something always to be said for maintaining Premier League status because it's not easy to do but they're just waiting to turn the corner and the corner never seems to come because of an injury or the manager's gone kaput or whatever it is it's just so difficult and then for Chelsea, obviously, it's been that's it's been a bit of that for them too. There have been some bright spots. They do play well occasionally. In fact, for forty-five minutes, sometimes they look fantastic. Mm. Um, and against Villa, in both games, Dan, they were the better team. Yeah, uh, they were for for seventy minutes at least in both games. They were the better team. And you sit there and you watch them at Villa Park on Wednesday, and you just think, why can't you play like this normally? And of course, the question is, well, why can't you finish like this? And that's been it's been the problem all season long. You know, midfield has worked pretty well in part um, when the fullbacks are fit. They have a big influence on the game. The wingers coming in and out of form is what they do. Really, it's that finishing touch. But when it all when it all comes together for Chelsea on a certain day, it doesn't happen that often at the moment. They actually look really, really good. It's the six weeks in between those performances that are the really bad bits. So what I'm hoping for on Monday with this game, which I'm going to, so it needs to be a 4-4, because um, Sellers Park is actually a bit of a pain to get to for me. So I need to be paid back in goals. <laughs> I want. No, it's I want, really horrible being invited to the corporate experience, Sam. It's, it's, well, I'm really sorry for you. That well, I haven't been sent a car. Um, anyway, Palace 
fight for your lives, scrap for your lives, overcome the injuries and find something here and, 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 and launch your season again. And for Chelsea, continue what you showed on Wednesday because that was really, really good. Yeah, there's a couple of really outstanding performances from, from Chelsea. I thought Madawaki live. I thought, geez, this guy is his lightning is not the same as when I've seen mm. him on the telly. He had a he had a really good game. The thing that annoyed me most is that, and I've spoken to a Chelsea fan since about this, is that she said that Enzo Fernandez hasn't even taken a free kick in the twelve months he's been at Chelsea, and then he turns into prime David Beckham at Villa Park. <laughs> that that annoyed me greatly, and it wasn't a foul, but yeah, that that annoyed me greatly. But just back just back to back to Palace Alley. The Elise injury situation, what, oh, what happened last weekend was almost comical. It's not funny because he ended up injured, but you know what I mean? He comes on in a game that they've, they've already lost. Just, mm. just, it wasn't a good look, was it, for anyone, that, that Elise injury at the weekend? No, and it's really hindering him becoming genuinely one of the most exciting consistent attackers in the Premier League, which is what he's threatened to become. He's a player that everyone loves. He plays in a certain way that is just so aesthetically pleasing and just really connects, I think, with fans, not just Palace fans, but all Premier League fans. And this season, more so than any previous season, he was, you know, take away aesthetics. He was delivering. He has been delivering as well. I think it's nine goal contributions in 8.490s uh, with only one penalty in there. So genuinely contributing goals and assists at a, a rate that he hadn't done previously. And that's quite important for a team who, as Sam has alluded to, are constantly in the 10th to 15th position and who just need to broadly be okay defensively and score just enough goals to stay out of the relegation battle. That's what Palace have done. You know, Sam called it a nightmare and a holding pattern. I mean, some nightmares are worse than others, right? Like sometimes in a nightmare, you die in a plane crash and sometimes you just, you know, uh, haven't revised for an exam. And I feel like for Palace, it's it's not that bad, right? Ten seasons in a row, they've been in the Premier League finishing between 10th and 15th. It's boring. It's very, very boring but it can get a lot worse. And you guys support Aston Villa and your club spent three seasons in the championship. And I dare say you didn't enjoy that hugely. Uh, certainly not the relegation campaign where I remember some bed sheets in the away end. I remember some, you know, some, <laughs> some social media abuse. It's bad vibes, isn't it? So yeah. it, it's a really difficult one, I think, to to fully understand as a neutral, this sense of stasis, this this boredom that sets in. It It seems also very clear that it's leading to... Hodgson leaving at some point in the next one to one week to four months. Do you, and do then you think? Let's, yeah, but it had happened last yeah, time. Sure. They already did that and he hit back. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I think, I think the thing that makes it maybe uh, more acute right now is that there's a part of me that wants to say, look, be careful what you wish for. It's keeping you in the Premier League and ultimately that's what the club needs to do. But they might be looking at what Gary O'Neill has done with Wolves, who took over a really boring Wolves team that was surviving, but in a really boring way. And he has made them much more energetic, much more fun to watch. They might look at Andoni Iraola at Bournemouth and think, okay, maybe more than ever, it is possible to get a progressive coach and be this bottom half team that plays decent football and survives it's just so difficult, isn't it? Because it does feel like there's a bit of a ceiling on on what Palace could be, even if they did get a good manager. Is the ceiling eighth, ninth? Top, yeah, this is a tough 10. spot for any team in, in yeah, you know, in this scenario. 
which means it is all the more imperative that you play some nice football, right? Mm. Yeah, and fans want to be want to enjoy going to watch their team play, and I understand that, that Crystal Palace fans are not enjoying what, what yeah. they're seeing every week at the, at the moment, and it has felt as well as the club's not really been aligned from from top to bottom. It has been a bit scattergun, as much as we've said that their recruitment's been good in general over the over the last maybe th- three seasons. You know, look at that team now. Take a couple of players out especially in the attacking areas, and it is devoid of quality. Do you remember Crystal Palace Culture Club? No. That was the seat, That was the summer that they signed, you know, Mark Gay and, you know, Barry Ezra. And, and, like, those players all came in. It was like it was like a, a proper, like, South London ballers unite. And we, uh, I, we, the people, renamed Crystal Palace Crystal Palace Culture Club rather than Crystal Palace Football Club because they were building something and it wasn't just talent. It was like a vibe and they were exciting. And they were like, okay, let's go watch Palace. They've got some really good, they've got really good young players here and they're exciting to watch and they can be thrilling and Ezra and Elise combining is amazing and Gaze in there and Ducore is brilliant and that next summer he was linked to Liverpool for 60 million. There was, there was an excitement and a vibe around Palace not that long ago. And for mm. kind of the reasons I, I talked about five minutes ago, like for whatever reason, it has just kind of disappeared and dissipated. And that's why I feel sorry for the fans. I, I spoke to a, a Crystal Palace fan in November or December, so before they signed Adam Wharton. But when, it was when Decore had gone down. And it was like, he was like, I just, he's a season ticket holder. He's like, I just can't, I just can't go there every week and watch Schlupp and Will Hughes in midfield. Is I just can't do it, man, and that's that's where the that's where the sentiment is, right? Yeah, no, look, I, I understand. I, I I feel sorry for for Hodgson because I do think he's been a good manager over the years. I almost think it's not his fault that they're they're this bad. I just think they'd probably be this bad anyway. But they they look they 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 need something. It's a club travelling in completely the wrong direction at, at the moment. He's a you know everyone's pulling in different directions as well as a, a fan base board manager. It's just it's just no good for anyone at the moment for, for Crystal Palace. What are you saying for for score this weekend, Ala? Well it's Monday, isn't it? What are you saying for score? Yeah, I, I think it's a great time to play against Chelsea and I think there's a bit of a blueprint to beat them at the moment and I think Wolves absolutely nailed it last week but I don't feel that Palace are in the right frame of mind to do that so I'm going to back Chelsea to use a bit of that confidence from midweek and I think they'll win 2-0 at Palace. 2-0, Sam? I humbly request a 4-4 but I am officially <laughs> predicting a 2-1 win for Chelsea. Yeah, and I'm going to ruin your day and predict Crystal Palace nil, Chelsea nil. I think it'll. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Chelsea will revert back to type and not be able to put the ball in the back of the net. And I think Roy will be very happy with a nil nil against Chelsea. Yeah, and there's going to be like there's going to be a problem with the lines for the beer, oh, so they'll yes. be dry as well, yeah. Sam. There'll be nothing yeah. for you to eat or drink. <laughs> Trains uh, back could be a huge issue as well. Transport <laughs> on, a, on a Monday night is oh my oh my days. It could oh. be absolutely. It could be a horrendous night. <laughs> I personally, even if I'd have been invited in corporate, I would not want to be going to, to this game. It's going to be mm. tough all around. Oh. The conditions, snow could be snow on Monday. Will the game even go ahead? Oh, do don't that say Monday. that. I don't. I can't do snow. <laughs> I'm checking the weather just, right now. Yeah, cooled off just before kickoff. I think this game pitch Monday nine degrees. 
Shut up. Oh, okay. (laughs) Let's let's call it a day on this week's edition of the Edge of the Box podcast in association with Ultimate Fan. Thanks to the chaps for joining me. And thanks to those of you that have taken in the pod as well, whether it be via audio or video. Wherever you are getting your pod, please subscribe. Do all the things that help us. Comment, like, everything helps the podcast grow. Stay tuned to the socials as well. There's always some Who Scored content on there. Have a great weekend watching the Premier League action and stay safe. Oh, I don't say stay safe anymore. Why did I say that?